Welcome to Born to Sell Denver with Brian Smith and Sean Modry. We have a special guest today with us, Art Vasquez. So, Art, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Art Vasquez. Um, I've been in this real estate industry. I'm, I, I hate saying this because it always, people, it ages me, but I've literally been in this business for 35 years now. And you look great, man. Well, listen, uh, I, I will, let me just make this very clear to you, both of you. Uh, those that are listening can't see it, but this, this is a real estate forehead. <laughs> it, my hair, look, this is no joke. My hair used to start, so for these, you guys can't see, but my hairline used to be a lot lower than it is. My forehead's bigger. Here's, here's how to put it in perspective. I had so much hair and such a smaller forehead when I was in high school. They used to call me Hair Londo. <laughs> that was my nickname, Hair Londo. <laughs> and now look at it. It's, yeah. You could call it a five or six head, right? It's not bad. It's not bad. Well, I, I would know. probably say I would give anything to have as much hair yeah. as you do. So I wasn't going to make that comment. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have, yeah, but I mean, it's grown. Well, look, at the end of the day, it's, I feel like it's sort of my, uh, you know, my passage through this. I mean, you can look at this forehead and it's been through a lot. Well, I must not have been through much. I got all the hair. On yeah, the table. that's great. You're, you're you're living a stress free life, there, Sean. I, I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Well, you're you're doing a good job because I wish I had more. I mean, you have the best hair at the table here. <laughs> that's my only claim to fame anymore. Well, since this podcast isn't about hair, well, yeah, let's, let's, let's move let's on. Get so, um, got into real estate. Did that for 12 years straight. Um, had a very successful team. Uh, I was independent. I had my cousin Robert Vasquez working for me. A guy by the name of Franz Christopher. Um, we had two assistants. I had a company called Home Vision Realty, and we closed 100. You know, my last four years, we were closing our team of three agents and two assistants closed 125 deals a year. Um, you know, commissions were a lot less because price points were a lot less. Uh, my cousin Robert took over my real estate company. Uh, I got into the title business. Um, we started a company called Metro Denver Title. And this was what year? Where this was 2002. Okay. So 2002, we started First Integrity Title. Uh, well, that's what it is now, but it was Metro Denver Title. And I was so smart back then that I actually let those guys buy me out. That's how smart of a guy I am. And now it's like <laughs> one of the biggest <laughs> biggest independent title companies um, in, in the metro area. But they're great guys over there, uh, Sean and, and uh, Jerry Spath were my business partners. They were actually the law firm that that uh, represented me. And then I went to them with this idea of starting a title company. And, and they were smart enough to, to do it and stick with it. Nice. And now I'm an investor, a developer. I coach at the Keller Williams Realty downtown office. Uh, so I'm just enjoying it, loving passing on this knowledge to, to the other agents about investing and um, understanding you know, how to build a retirement program. Yeah, and I think it's cool because uh, Art and I, we've known each other a long time. Yeah. You know, back in the REO days. Right. Right. And I think we probably met, I'm guessing, at Adams County Auction. Probably, I, was a, I was a regular there. <laughs> me too, man. Yeah. You know, buying at the county auction sale, the foreclosure sales. Wow. That, so that, you know, when you think about that, so in 2008, they changed the law so that... Um, the homeowner had more time to cure 
Um, and then they they took out this loophole that would allow investors to deal with the owners directly. So yeah. the auctions became the place to go. That was the it was fun. Yeah, all we had. I mean, from two thousand and nine to two thousand and sixteen, Dilday, just he and I, um, probably bought and sold over six hundred foreclosures. Yeah, we were one of the biggest wholesalers, and we'd pass them on to, you know fix and flip guys that uh, that would actually fix them up and flip them. Yeah. yeah. And for those that don't know, John Dilday is an investor. Right. And, He's an uh, investor. Back in the day, he was the guy. They like, called him the godfather of the he foreclosures. W- he it, was. Yeah. And they brought an article <laughs> about it. And I just remember our attorney, Joseph Murr, calling and saying, hey, look, I, you know, it's all fun, but I don't know that you want to be known as the godfather of yeah. foreclosures. In, in his Hawaiian shirt and his, his slick back white hair, right? Oh, yeah, and his shorts and his yeah, tennis his shoes. Shorts. You'd he, never know. He's the millionaire next door. Yeah. Nobody ever knew. Yep. Um, this is how bad it was for Dilday. Before he actually got an iPhone, he, he, he would flip phones. He couldn't even find the flip phone, but he had this orange flip phone that he loved. He would have to, every time that phone broke, he'd have to look for another one. Now, this is not a joke, what I'm about to tell you. This is a real story. So... The parking lots across from the city and county of Denver, we'd have to go into the auction, and he parked right off of the alley. And uh, he had to get something out of his trunk. And when he left, when he closed his trunk, he put his phone down to check his pocket, and he forgot his phone there. Oh. And right across the alley was an abandoned building, and there were probably six or seven homeless people just hanging out there. And uh, we went to the auction and he realized he didn't have his phone, and he's like, oh, we'll just go look afterwards. It's probably going to be gone. Not only when we, So we got back, walked to his car, and his phone was still there. And not only was it still there, but I think there was a couple of dollars there, too. I think some of the homeless people left him a little bit of money to buy a real phone. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's great. So, so Art, you're, you're an investor. You're a developer. You're a real estate coach. So where do we start? What do you want to talk about first? Uh, you know, I, I think we talk about what does it mean for a real estate broker to to be an investor? You know, when we think about real estate, Sean, I mean, you've been around a while. Um, you know, I just, I wonder, what is our retirement program? We're self-employed. Mm-hmm. Brian, do we have a retirement program for real estate brokers? Well, I th- there are retirement programs. Right. Like, I think a typical agent would do like a SEP IRA, right? And so um, they're investing in something that they don't have any experience in. They're giving their money to somebody else to invest in something like that. But yet they're the experts in real estate. So true. Okay, I have a question for you guys. This will tie right into what we're talking about. Um, today, interest rates have risen, correct? They're they're at a high point that we haven't seen in a while. I haven't looked today. Well, I'll take I mean, your word on it. Yeah. Brian says I don't understand stats, so. <laughs> well, you know, I think Brian taught me a long time ago that uh, I, I don't know if I'm quoting him exactly or maybe it was something I overheard him say. Uh, statistics don't lie, but liars use statistics. Ooh. Wow, that was a Yodaism. That's a Yoda. That's a. Th- I, I think it actually was never use a statistic that you can't manipulate yourself. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, you know, I I use statistics all the time, and I I make them up so that they apply. No, mm-hmm. seriously, when we think about here, here's one that I I, I want to ask you guys a question here. So today in today's market, if you're an investor, 
and you were to buy a three unit or fourplex, even at today's interest rates, what do you guys imagine the rate of return to be for for an investment property? Right now, right now, yeah, a long term, long term investment, internal yeah. rate of return, internal rate of return, two percent. Uh, okay, I think it's higher than that, but I think it's also that's not, that's cheating. <laughs> what do you think he didn't it is? Say, Brian? Plus or minus Sean. I, <laughs> it's, I would say, I mean, the 30-year average is 4% appreciation per year. However, I think you have to take into account uh, compounding interest. And I think you also have to take into account that you're, you're getting 4% on the total amount of the property, not Absolutely. just the money that you put in. So that's the appreciation piece. And that's an excellent point. What people don't realize, and I think Einstein said it, that compounding interest is the seventh wonder of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Or eighth wonder of the world. And the thing about it is, is that that's exactly what happens with equity. It compounds, right? The appreciation mm-hmm. rate is what you're talking about. So what's an overall rate of return? We're talking about cash flow, all the benefits of real estate. What would be a good annual rate of return when you factor all those things in? Well, why don't you tell us? Well, okay, I will. And uh, by the way, rates, I'm looking at uh, uh, mortgagenewsdaily.com. Yes. Uh, 6.61. Yeah, sounds about right. For a 30-year fix, 6.02 for 15, 6.06 FHA, 30-year jumbo, you know, it's right around the same. Yeah, it's interesting because when the rates first started going up, jumbos were actually lower than Mm -hmm. the the conventional and FHA, which was just odd. I haven't seen that. Uh, I don't remember seeing it where where jumbo was lower. It's now... Now caught up. Okay, so you, Brian said, hey, just tell us where we're at. Well, okay, I will. Let me just ask you one other question. We ask the questions here. Oh, do you? Yeah, I know. It's like, I feel like this is the best podcast. Is this weird? Oh, am I turning around? He was waiting for this. He's like, no, I wasn't. I'm, I'm kind of intimidated right now. I know. I've never been on this side. Well, you know, well, Warren Buffett, you know, he says if you can make 10%, he said if I could make 10% every year annually, uh, you know, he says I'd have twice the net mm-hmm. uh net worth that we have today. Um, And so here's the thing about it. So this is going to shock you guys because I do the class. I do a class for the agents in this office and I've done it for the uh, West office, um, KW office. And the class is, I call it the power of plus one. And it's an investment class where I show the formulas. And what we do is we actually pick out two or three properties that are on the MLS that either have recently sold or under contract or active. And we actually walk through doing an evaluation. Now, there's a lot of ways to evaluate properties. One of them is uh, cash on cash. There's a cap rate. You said internal rate of return, mm-hmm. um, Sean. And one of them that I do is I call it a universal rate of return. Hmm. So universal rate of return is where we take appreciation. We take cash flow. We take a tax break, which is depreciation, right? and principal reduction. And we actually take all of those, and in this formula that that I've created, we're able to take all of those, combine them, and come up with an annual rate of return. So I'm going to... What what number do you use for appreciation? 4%. Okay. Historical? It's historical. Well, look... If you a little bit the below, last, right? In it four and a half? No, it's closer. Yeah, it's it's higher. We I like using four. If you look at the last hundred years... Um, which includes the Great Depression and uh, the debacle in 2008, long-term appreciation 
is somewhere between four and a half and five. Yeah. I think we use four to be conservative, right? Yeah, I appreciate that you're using four because I've seen many, many, many people use seven. Yeah, I don't like that. Or eight. I don't like that. (laughs) Well, and and the other part for agents is that when they're talking to their clients, they say, well, what do I say if if my client says, well, wait, we're in a possibly declining market. Um, You know, I don't want to use 4%. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. 8% the year before, 7% before actual you know, why would we use four? And and here's the response I give. I say, well, ask your client this. Are you in it for the long term or the short term? Yep. And inevitably, they're going to say long term because it's a long term investment. You say, then that's why we're using a long term below average. So 4% is a conservative long term average. It'll balance out. So can I can I share one of the most amazing conversations I've ever had in real estate? Okay. Uh, Hey, I'm excited. The yeah, this is really good. this was a, this was a this was a game changer for me. Okay, so 2020, the the you know we we're in lockdown. Stuff is changing. We're like fears in the streets. Real estate's going to crash, right? Art calls me, and he says, "Hey, what you doing?" Super calm, you know. People are jumping out of buildings right now, and he's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" Now, meanwhile, how many homes did you have under construction at that point? Most look, we're supposed to be an infill builder, and we had starting at COVID. Just to answer, I was so excited because we kept timing it wrong. We know spring is the best time to sell, right? Yep. And for some reason, we'd always get these projects done right in the middle of winter. So we were so excited because we had 29 yeah. doors coming on the market from starting in April all the way through the summer. Yeah. And they were all multi million. Well, these ones were these ones were double duplexes. We're selling each side uh, for six hundred and fifty to seven hundred fifty thousand. Okay, so he calls and he's like, "Hey, how you doing?" And I'm like, "Pretty freaked out." <laughs> I'm like, "Man, the sky's falling. Like, you, what are you gonna do?" Right? And we have this conversation, and Art says this. He says, "I think about it like this. It's like a golf game." Play the hole that's in front of you. Until things change, I'm not changing my plan. I'm not going to worry about the 18th hole if I'm on the third hole. Hmm. And he's like, I'm just going to keep moving forward as normal. And how well, because I'm saying to you, dump. I'm like, we're going, this is going to be terrifying. And it worked out really well. Yeah, because the interest rates ended up, the government you know, forced long-term rates to lower um, through the policy, through the Fed. So rates went down. They allowed construction to continue, and it became a buying frenzy. And we sold all 29 of those starting in in the fall all the way through the winter. And uh, it it was fantastic for us. It saved us. It saved us from that being – it could have been a big disaster. So so I use that term now with a lot of my coaching clients. As I say, just play the hole in front of you. You see, you know, see what's in front of you right now. React to that. Don't react to, because you said this, don't react to things that aren't happening right now. Well, you have to put the blinders on. You know, one of the things that when I coach is, and and by the way, I haven't forgotten about this rate of return I'm going to give you guys. So if you're listening, it's coming up. (laughs) We got a little sidetracked. Uh, However, it's, I'm not, I haven't forgotten it. Uh, Part of it is how you cope with things, right, Brian? Uh, One of the things that um, I learned in NLP, I'm an NLP practitioner, is that when you have problems, a lot of people, you have to imagine 
a, uh, a big ocean with a sunset. And what we do is we take our issues that are in front of us and we frame them and we leave them right in front of our face. One of the techniques I learned in NLP is that we can say there's a problem and we can frame it. Then we push it all the way back to the sunset. Mm-hmm. And we know it's there. We just don't have to deal with it today. Mm-hmm. And then when we need to deal with it, we bring it forward. Because so many people are like, oh, you just got to forget about that. Your, your subconscious won't let you forget about it. It won't let you get past it. Uh, and then when it's time to deal with it, you bring it forward mm-hmm. and you deal with it. And then in the meantime, the things that are in front of you are the things you need to deal with today. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, found a, it's a very great uh, coping mechanism. Yeah. You know, when, when COVID hit, <laughs> I did a, a Zoom call with both of my offices and I said, hey, it's okay. I know you can't show houses. This is only going to last like six weeks. Like I, I legitimately, right. I, I said six well, weeks. Well, that's what they said. <laughs> yeah. And so I, boy, was I wrong. Right. But the thing that we know about this business is that we're resilient. Right. And agents got creative because they did all kinds of things. Because at the end of the day, people needed to still buy and sell real estate. Mm-hmm. And we figured it out. And there was a lot of things that you could have created in your mind and said, well, this is going to happen. And uh, so we can't do this anymore. And yet the good agents went out there and said, this is how you can. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really cool. And it changed the industry forever about how we do things. I mean, gosh, I mean, you know, people were buying houses with like a, uh, you know, a video tour rather than actually walking through a house. And that was awesome. That, it was awesome, and it's interesting. Um, so I want to talk about that. Yeah, but let's get back to your let's rate of return. Let's get back to the rate of return. And I'll, but remind me to talk about, and, and the thing that you can remind me, Brian, is is this a face-to-face business still, or uh, is it a hybrid? I okay, want to really I'll bring talk that up. That. Okay. So uh, when I was teaching this class when the interest rates were low, I'd ask agents, what do you guys think an overall return is? Uh, for if you own real estate long term annually, and you'd get you know eight percent, ten percent, twelve percent, six percent, all over the board, right? And I said, well, I'm going to tell you right now that return. I can pick any fourplex out of the MLS. Now, not all of them are are going to fit this criteria, but I can pull at any given time a fourplex, a triplex, and I will show you that you're going to have a thirty-two to thirty-seven percent annual return. Now, I know that sounds shocking. Now, the question was, what are the returns with the interest rates where they're at today? And the return on the class I did at Advantage, KW Advantage, off of Union, uh, we did an analysis and um, on two different properties. And the return on one was 26% annual return, and the other one was 28%. Now, a lot of people want to call BS on that. And I said, look... If you, if you want to call BS on it, fine, come to the class and I'll show you the formula. And then after you do the formulas, then you can tell me what you think. Now, you guys got to remember, I'm not talking 27% return on cash flow. I'm talking mm-hmm. appreciation, depreciation, which is the tax shelter you get for owning uh, income-producing properties, and um, talking about cash flow and principal reduction. We forget about mm-hmm. principal reduction. Mm-hmm. That's forced savings. That is actually a return on your investment. And when you factor those things in, we are still looking at 25 to 28% returns 
on income producing properties for three and four units. So on that principal reduction, because you're looking at people, most people look at the mortgage payment as an expense. Right. But your point is a percentage of that expense is actually forced savings that people forget to calculate in. It's well, forced investment, really. Forced, I mean, yeah, forced in investment. Yeah, yeah forced investment. investment, forced savings. The fact of the matter is that it's actually significant. Brian, I got my license in 89, okay? So when we're selling houses for 100000 you didn't even look at principal reduction because it was like 60 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. But in today's world, we're looking at... $600 a month of principal reduction on a fourplex that's closer to 800 to $900 a month. And as you guys know, the way principal reduction works is the, lar- the, more, the lower the loan amount, the bigger the amount of principal reduction. So it grows every year. Hmm. And, and that's just the first year is 28% overall rate of return. If you, if you understand investing, you know that as inflation goes up long term, it'll blow your mind. Well, and and let me just jump in on why this conversation is so important and why the way you're solving this problem is different than the way most investors or most real estate agents would solve it. Because most real estate investors are going to look at something and they're going to say, okay, if I put $80,000 down, how long is it going to take me to recap that money? But people who really understand how to gain success is time, knowledge, and money are external resources. If you focus on your time, your money, your knowledge, then you're always limited, right? So the thing about you and, you know, and, you know, you've gone through some tough times and you've rebuilt this extremely successful investment business career, right? And you walk around like, you know, like the duck uh, smooth on the water. Meanwhile, you've got all these things going on, multiple investment properties, developments, all this stuff. But you understood the principle of, if I provide my time and my knowledge, somebody else will put up the money. Well, that's part of it, too. And the other part of it is that um, I've always had this philosophy that if I help somebody grow their business somehow, some way, somebody's going to help me grow my business. Yeah. And uh, so let's, let's talk about it specifically for real estate brokers. Because some of the questions that I get um, are, well, where am I going to get an investor to put 20% down? on a million dollar fourplex. Cause you know, fourplexes are between 800 and 1.2 million today in this market. And they're like 25% down. Actually it's 25% down. That's a quarter of a million dollars. I don't know anybody that has a quarter of a million. You know what I ask them? I say, how many people do you know that bought a house five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago, because all of those people have over a quarter million dollars of equity in their home right now. And it's just a matter of how do they tap into it so that they can invest. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that have it. And if they bought before that, then they have twice that equity mm-hmm. in there. And that's, that's the idea of how you get people. If you're a real estate broker, you look at all your people that have owned a home for more than five years, and they all have tons of equity. And so the, here's the question that I always ask the agents. If you were to retire today and you, or you couldn't work, how much residual income would you need to have a comfortable lifestyle? So I'll ask that mm-hmm. to you, Sean. Right now, you couldn't work mm-hmm. or chose not to work. How much money would you need residually to live comfortably? 
Well, you know, I I don't have high expenses, so <laughs> a lot of people are going to be like, "Oh, that's well." Not, I'm not talking about driving sucks. a Ferrari. <laughs> that's not very <laughs> Instagrammy of you. But imagine you want to do four vacations a year. You want to live a comfortable yeah. lifestyle. I'm not. You're not driving a Ferrari. You're driving a decent car. Yeah. And uh, you're going on four vacations a year, and you're very yeah. comfortable. Let's say fifteen grand a month. Okay, fifteen grand. What do you think, Brian? Well, I'm a uh, I'm a hockey dad to three boys, and so. Fifteen grand probably just covers just about yeah. their hockey expenses. So, so mine is higher. Yeah, a you month. Know? Well, no, I'm just kidding. It's it's probably not that much, but it's probably not that far off. Honestly, it's expensive, expensive sport. But the the reality of it is is I I know where you're going with this, and like I I think one of the things that happened the last time we had a shift was there were agents that were living above their means and they had high expenses and they never really thought about what the future looks like mm-hmm. when they decide to walk away, right? And so at the end of the day, like you just said earlier we were, before we uh, hit record, is that most agents don't understand that they have this business that they work really hard for. And at the end of their career, they don't have like a business that they could sell for multiples mm-hmm. uh, of uh, you know, what it's worth, Especially if you're the brand. See, real estate agents, you know, even the teams, you can have a team name. At the end of the day, the consumer's looking for the person behind the team. That's who they're really hiring. They're hiring somebody who's accountable, right? You are the brand. So a lot. Of, it's not like an insurance company or a guy who has a bunch of clients can sell his company. Real estate agents have a hard time selling their business and think they can re- you just can't retire on it. You can mm-hmm. get some money out of it. So then the question is, what do I need? So Sean's at 15, let's say Brian's at 20. So I'll give you guys an example. So right now you can buy a duplex. Let's say you had a duplex and you owned it free and clear. Now, you know, obviously that doesn't happen for demonstration purposes. If you owned a duplex right now in a meat and potatoes area, three bedroom, two bath, you're probably bringing in $4,000 a month in rent. Okay, now it's free and clear. But you still have expenses, mm-hmm. right? We have property taxes. We have insurance. We have maintenance. We have um, major improvements that we have to set money aside for when the roof needs to be changed out, water heater, furnace. So when you factor that all in, I'll just give you a, a ballpark number. You're, it's probably gonna about $1,200 a month. So you're going to net $2,800 on a free and clear duplex, right? So then the question is that for you, Sean, you're looking at, 15 grand. So if we took, let's just call it three grand, you're netting. You'd have to own five duplexes, free and clear, mm-hmm. to have the residual income you need. And here's the beauty. And that's it. if I self manage. That's if you self manage. That's exactly right. And, so, and you so, should self manage because. So I'm not, you know. It's not residual. It's not, it's not residual yeah. till you have somebody else manage it. However, how are you going to know? what expectations to have from a management company unless you've done it yourself. And you have to manage your management company. We've yes. all been ripped off by them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, they, it, right? it's, it's a tough business, yeah. <laughs> it's a tough business. Well, the way they make their money is that they all have maintenance companies because it's too hard. You don't make any money really yeah. for the management fee. So they make it on their maintenance of it. Yeah. So, so okay. I need five places. You need five duplexes, um, and then you have your fifteen grand. And here's the beauty of it. When you guys think about it, fifteen grand of today's dollars is when, when inflation kicks in. Ten years from now, twenty years from now, thirty years, the number is going to be different. It's going to be a much higher dollar amount, but it's still the same buying power because mm-hmm. of inflation. So that fifteen thousand is going to continue in perpetuity 
um, as long as, you know, properties are appreciating. Now, you can sell some of them, right, uh, if you wanted to and, and, uh, and keep a couple. Brian, on the other hand, would, would need to have six or seven of them. I but better here, get started. Well, it's, and you only have to buy them every, every couple of years. You don't need to buy it right away. And so I tell this to the young agents. I just did a demonstration for uh, a young agent in this office named James Bradley, who is in transition to becoming a full-time real estate broker. And we factored in that if he bought a fourplex as an owner-occupant, mm-hmm. an owner-occupant, after he got his commission back, after we used Keller Mortgage, which is so underutilized with zero loan fees and still competitive rates, if he used a Keller Mortgage, bought a fourplex, and then you get a credit for the other three rents, and I won't get into detail how that works, but if you close on the right day, he literally can be in that property for less than eight grand, five grand out of his pocket. If Is I that were, after he gets his commission back? Do you factor in? His yeah, after he gets return? his commission yeah. back. In fact, on sometimes, in some cases, if you're able to get, uh, if you time it right, it's it can be close to zero for a real estate agent. Think about young real estate agents. They go, you know, that's the first, if I could go back and do it over guys, I would have, the first property I would have bought as a young real estate broker when I could get it would be a fourplex. Hmm. Live in one and you're only required to live in it for at least a year, Mm -hmm. right? On your owner occupied mandatory paperwork. So I just think about it and I I think. My my first five houses, I moved into them. So I bought my first house for 99,000 and uh, lived there a year, bought a brand new construction for 132, lived there for. I think like eight nine months. Bought my next house for two forty two, um, yeah. And then you know, by the time I hit my fifth house, my my wife was like, "If you if you make me move again, I'm leaving you." Right. That's how that went. <laughs> well, and that's the thing about it is that um, you know, right now, um, you know, maybe we have Monica and I have twenty five rental properties, twenty rental properties here in Denver, and then another partnership in Arizona. And I was watching us selling all these properties to these wholesalers. And I just, I, you know, I had, so let, let me give you a little backstory. So in 2005, I had a major failure, major failure. I lost a company, uh, my second title company. Uh, it was devastating. Um, you know, some misinformation, my name kind of got run through the mud a little bit. Um, but I cleared my name and what I didn't do is I didn't file bankruptcy. I didn't walk away from any of my partnerships and I rebuilt that. And I remember uh, driving down 23rd and Larimer with my brother, and there was a guy there panhandling, and I said, you see that guy right there? He's worth $1.6 million more than I am today because <laughs> wow. that was my debt. And so, um, and you know, young kids, at the t- I just had my first kid, and then four years later, my second kid, and, and uh, you know, trying to figure out how to pay this debt back. And so when we started buying properties at the foreclosures, it was it was very helpful in me paying this debt down. Like I said, I didn't file bankruptcy. I didn't walk away. I'm not saying that some people shouldn't or should. I'm just saying I didn't. I wanted to be able to walk in any part of Denver because it's a small town. And if I bump into Brian or but I don't want anybody to say Art Vasquez owes me anything, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be able to walk freely through the state that I live in and the city. And I wasn't about to move anywhere. I was like, I'm going to fix this. So I started buying these foreclosures with Dildy and we were wholesaling them. And in 2012, I was like, man, if I don't start buying some of these. So at the time, because I was $1.6 million in debt and I'm using a lot of this income to pay down that debt, 
you know, my credit got shot. Um, I had to start rebuilding it. So how did I, I ended up buying 30 properties and I'm not a, you know, I'm not the seminar guy that says, Hey, you can do it for no money down, but I found partners. And here's the one thing i learned, Sean, and you know this, and you know this too, Brian, is that when you learn and you develop as a human being and you understand real estate, nobody can ever take that away from you. Mm-hmm. You can lose money, but they can't take your knowledge away. I found two investors who put up all the money and here was the agreement. We'd be 50-50 partners. And this is a valuable lesson for agents that are listening right now or anybody for that matter. Because they trusted my expertise, they said, okay, you find, I said, I'll find these properties under market value at the best prices. We'll be 50-50 partners. You put up the money. I'll manage them. I'll manage the fix-up and I'll manage the rental of the properties and we'll pay you some interest on your money, but I want to be 50% partner. And in both those cases, these investors, we bought 30 properties. We're now down to 20, but I've bought both of those partners out um, because there was so much appreciation that I was able to buy them out. I was able to rebuild my credit uh, and buy them out. And now Monica and I have these properties that we own and we had, you know, 15 year mortgages on them. We have, you know, we're at 30% loan to value on these. So we have equity, um, and cash flow and net worth and net worth. And, and I'll be honest with you guys that this whole development company that I started Denver development group with Keith Gallegos, if it wasn't for the equity in my real estate, I wouldn't have had the confidence to take those risks. Mm-hmm. And it also gave us the resources at the beginning to to be able to get into, we would cross-collateralize to get into the development side of it. Mm. So it's opened up so many doors. And if I could emphasize anything to the you know real estate agents that are listening is that, look, come to my Power Plus One class, learn the formulas. And then I talked to you about this earlier, Brian. Remember I was telling you that after they take the class, I do... Saturday classes uh, quarterly where we invite the consumers, all their clients to come in and I do the heavy lifting. We go over all those same formulas and um, I can tell you stories of people that bought from me. Do you guys remember when people were, it's so funny. Remember when everybody was refinancing to pay off all their credit card debt when markets are great. I saw this in the late nineties and I saw it, you know, up to 2008 and then they would get that, back into debt again. Mm-hmm. And it was just this cycle. And then they would keep borrowing to pay off their consumer debt. And then they end up selling the asset because they couldn't pull any more money out. We're of it. seeing that right now. Yeah. Well, I just want to add something. Sure. To something that you said. Okay. Okay. Um, because I know you teach these classes and I think this is important for, for people to understand is that people who have wealth, they're looking for you because mm-hmm. They understand that real estate is a good investment, and they don't want the time mm-hmm. to have to go find it themselves. Right. They want somebody to say, hey, this is a good deal. Sign here. And they'll I put up the money. That. I love that. They'll put up the money for you to do the legwork. And so the 50-50 partnership on these things is not unrealistic. No, and agents, see, here's the problem is that uh, agents get stuck on just thinking about their commission, right? Mm-hmm. And a commission is just a chip. If you compare a one-time commission, even if you threw in half of your commission or part of your commission on a transaction and you evaluated this property over the next 10, 15, 20 years, there's no comparison, none whatsoever. And I'm not even saying you need to throw your commission in. 
a lot of times what you just said, Brian, if you're willing to people, the, the reason people avoid uh, real estate investments, those that do that want to invest is they don't want to deal with the management. So they're willing to bring a partner in and it's, and look, here's the great part. You can structure it any way you want. I just gave one formula mm-hmm. for how you can structure it. Uh, you know, and here's the bottom line though. You can't even have those conversations until you understand how to properly evaluate a property, mm-hmm. properly evaluate a property. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the first step. And then what do you guys think about this? What do you think the hesitation is for agents to help their clients get educated so they understand the formulas? Well, I think it's, it starts with a lack of knowledge. You know, right. like I, I'm sitting here thinking, if you take all the clients that, that I worked with over the years and the equity that they built in real estate, you know, during that period, that's got to be, I, I just can't even come up with a number. Oh, it, I mean, it's in the millions. Hundred million, yeah, hundred million, right? Easily. So you know, you think about that. That's from a perspective of them buying their personal residence, right? So what if somebody did that and took that approach of saying, you know what, I'm going to help you build this type of equity, but I want to be your partner, and I want to uh, do all the legwork, do all the information, or do all the research, do all the hard work that you don't want to do. And this is what it's going to look like in 10, 20 years. I don't think there's a lot of people that have wealth that would turn that down. Well, I don't think so either. And here's the thing. No one's teaching this. No one's talking to real estate brokers other than how do you get your next deal so you can earn a commission? And we're talking about creating legacy wealth, right? We're talking about creating wealth that can be passed on. We're talking about creating something that you don't have to worry about now. But in 20 years, when you see the the benefit of it, you're like... Look, here's what happens. Every time somebody buys a property, uh, it's hard at the beginning because the cash flow is is minimum, right? And it grows over time. And finally, when they get to, here's what I tell people. I go, here's how it's going to work when when I used to sell investment properties when we were wholesaling. And even when I was a a broker. And right now, you know, I used to tell my clients, here's how it's going to work. The first five years are going to hate me. They're going to be like, why do we ever do this? Can't believe Art got me to do this. I just... You know, he's wholesaled me this property and, it, and they all, they call me on weekend because that's what tenants do. Like they'll, mm-hmm. when there's a problem, they'll call you, they'll figure out your mother-in-law's phone number. They'll know your neighbor's phone. They'll track you down. But when they don't have the rent, you know, they, they lost all the numbers. Their phone fell in the toilet. <laughs> they can't, you know, they don't know how to get a hold of you. They were like, sorry, I, you know. Oh, I world, sent it in the mail. Yeah. It didn't get there. The, the, the world is falling down. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just funny. That's what it is with tenants. The thing about it is that when we have these investment properties and you're and you're giving a solution to somebody and they're looking at the long term return, you're taking the biggest headache away from them. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And when you can show them the long term return on it, um, it's game changing. And by the way, there's an app for fifty dollars that people go to the class. I say, go buy this app and it will evaluate this property over the next 10 years, 15 years, and it shows those overall returns. And I'll tell you, you shake your head when you're looking at it. You're like, is this real? Is this real? There's some, you know, basic assumptions, long-term interest rate. I mean, uh, appreciation rate. So let's think about it this way, guys. So if an agent were able to partner with a client, and you're right, Brian, there are tons of people with a lot of money, and they were able to do two or three properties over the next, you know, 10 years where they partnered and then there were other ones. Cause let's think about this. How often does somebody sell a house by the way, nowadays 
What's the average? Well, I think it's the last stat I saw was nine years, but I think that's increasing. And there's, so it there's is some increasing. information about it getting up to 15. Mm-hmm. It's Okay, so here's what I believe. This is what I've been seeing. And this is agents need to understand this, that somebody is a first-time home buyer who buys their house. They are more likely to sell within five to seven years. But after you get somebody into their second home or third home, we're looking at averages now, I think, according to NAR, between 12 and 15 years. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing people that are getting, you know, they put their roots down and they're not turning over as much, right? So now you take somebody who's been in their house for 15 years and they have equity. Now, what if we were to educate them and you can either partner with them or you could just show them how sell them an investment property and show them how that works and now every three years they buy an investment property. Mm-hmm. This is somebody that's not even a client for you anymore because they're not going to buy. They may be. They may tell you they're in their home permanently, right? Well, the the, the concept that you're talking about, like you see this in other cities that are expensive cities, you know, yep. like uh, San Francisco or anywhere in the Bay Area, frankly, L.A., um, San Diego, where literally they bought their house in the '80s, '70s, or '80s. There's no chance that if they sold that house, they'd be able to rebuy again. So they just live in that house, right? They're in some conceptual ways, they're house poor, but equity rich. So they have access to the equity, but they can't draw that equity without producing income, right? So this is where, this is where Denver's going. Denver's the fifth most expensive city right now, or, or Colorado's fifth, fifth most expensive state, Colorado, and Denver's the most expensive city that's not on a harbor. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Isn't that crazy? Well, I mean, and I call it debt equity. You know, the thing is that how do you get a return? Because when you, when, what equity gives you is peace of mind, right? Yeah. You, the more equity you have, the lower your loan amount, you get peace of mind. You have to balance that out with rate of return. Like if I were to pull some of this out, how do I create wealth? And again, understanding the formulas, um, to evaluate because once you're empowered as an agent and even as your clients are empowered and I tell real estate agents empower your clients because here's what happens when you empower them it doesn't take you out of the equation they still need somebody they still need feet on the ground they still need eyes and ears to go find the property Mm -hmm. they're not going to do that on their own when you empower them though to understand these formulas you actually motivate them because they feel like okay I knowledge is power I feel good about this now I ran the numbers I didn't rely on Sean I didn't rely on Brian I didn't rely on anybody else. I ran the numbers, and now I believe. Mm-hmm. And so when the client runs the numbers, you actually start to get elevated. I call them, I, I say you get elevated from being a real estate broker or salesperson to being a coach. And here's how it works. When I was doing the, when, when we were selling wholesale properties, and I started doing this power of plus one, teaching people how to create wealth one property at a time, I was doing it to consumer investors. And um, I was teaching them, the, the formulas. And here's how it would work. When you empower them, sale, so when you guys think about salespeople, right, we're like, well, you should do this, and this is why you want to do this, this is why you want to do that. When you elevate yourself to educate your clients, whether you're educating them directly or you're allowing me to do it as your proxy, what ends up happening is they change. It goes from being a sales relationship to a um, mentor, advisor, advisor relationship, a trusted advisor. And here's how it works. This, and this is no lie. This is crazy how it works. I do these classes and I'd get 
you know, the 10% of the people that were going to actually do something. We do a class of 50 people and 10% are like, okay, I'm ready to go. And they go, okay, Art, what's the next step? I go, okay, well, you got to look at the list of these properties. So um, go drive them and see which ones you like the best. And they go drive them. They go, okay, I've done that, Art. What's next? Well, did you run the formulas? No. Run the formulas. Okay, I ran the formulas. Which were the best three? Mm-hmm. A, B, and C were the best three. Okay, which one do you like the most? C. Okay, what should you do then? Well, Art, I guess I should write an offer. Now, isn't that a much funner way to sell? Yeah. you know, Much you, more fun. Isn't, you know, it's I'm funner. thinking about, like, why agents, one, don't naturally do this, and two, why they're not going to follow through with your plan. Okay? And here's, here's the here's the. Truth. Let's hear it. Number one is your plan isn't get rich fast. Your, your plan is one property at a time, which I love, by the way. But to a traditional person who's listening, they're probably thinking, but I need money now. And the idea of managing a property with, and then splitting the profits after paying you know, the mortgage, the expenses, the investor for their, for their money and the interest on their money, and you know I've done this in the Absolutely. past. They're looking at, like you said, the first five years, you're not making any money. No. There's no money to be made the first five years. That's why they hate me at the first five years. And, and then, and then and what you happens? too. Because right? you're then, managing it for free. Right. And then yeah. years five to ten, you know what happens, Sean? I then, know exactly then the what cash happens, flow starts, I've done this. <laughs> cash flow starts to go up, and they're like, well, Sean and Art, they're not that bad. I mean, yeah. this is a little bit better and because their cash flow is better. And yeah. they understand and they've learned, right, how to find the right tenant. And they, 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 got a, they got their flow going, right? And maybe you're helping to manage. By years 10 to 15, they're like, whoa, this thing's really a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so smart. Because they forgot that you. But, but the problem is, is most people have a short-term mindset. Right. And you're thinking 20 years out. And you're thinking about your relationship. So how do, agents, how do agents convince people to look long-term? Well, one, don't convince Never. Right. So let's not convince anybody no. of anything because then they'll unconvince themselves later. <laughs> yeah. A mind, yeah, convince I don't think its, it's will the investor's challenge still. to find. I don't think the challenge is convincing an investor to think long term. I think the challenge is convincing the agent to think long term. Well, I think also, too, I step. mean, investors are used to giving their money yeah. to their financial guy. Right. Long term. Right. And they say, here it is, go do it. Well, yep. they don't usually it. like dabble in it and go, well, no, buy this one and buy this one, this and this, you know, that's, that's not how it is. So like a real estate agent can have that same relationship <laughs> with an investor. Well, the money's would, easy to find. Well, that's the, money, the funniest part. Well, and people don't realize that and they have to have a way to empower, you know, the client by giving them knowledge. And that's where I say, look, I'll teach you. And then if you're not comfortable, bring them to my class and I'll do the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. I'll teach the formula and then eventually you'll get good enough at it. Something you were saying earlier, Brian, is that, you know, stories, right? Stories are so powerful. So how you guys want to know how I started the Power Plus One? It all started when I was, it started in my mind. I didn't have a name for it when I was a young real estate agent. I was 22 years old. Um, I had a friend named Sam Montoya, and his dad was Mr. Montoya. And um, Sam and I went to high school together. So he invited me over for dinner, and I'm there at the family house. Mr. Montoya had five kids total, I believe, and Sam was the youngest. In fact, Sam was the unexpected child. Mr. Montoya, I believe, when we were 22, he was close to 70 years old. So, 
um, certainly an older dad. And I remember sitting at the table, and if you guys remember, in 92, 93, that's when the market really started to start to rise from what happened in the 80s. And I said, Mr. Montoya, you own your house free and clear. That's great. And, and let me paint the picture. He owned his house free and clear. He had this little pickup truck. That was I feel probably... like he stole this from Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> I feel like you're no, just I, ripping off I, Robert Kiyosaki. If, right. if Robert Kiyosaki ever says this story, I'm suing. <laughs> <laughs> I think he already He did, watched so. one of my videos. You just changed the last name. That's all you did. <laughs> yeah. It's the same story. <laughs> well, then, you know, for the, for the listenership, let's let me at least finish the story, Sean. <laughs> We'll I'm give, on to you, man. We'll give credit to whomever credit is deserved once the story <laughs> is told, but we must tell the story because we're running out of time. So he had this little pickup truck that was maybe 10 years old, but it was in perfect shape, free and clear. Now, he was on Social Security and his wife was on Social Security. I think he got $800 a month. Now, this is in the 90s, you know, 800 and his wife got like 750 So they had a total income of about $1,600, but they had zero debt. Their idea of a vacation was, you know, crossing over the border to New Mexico and going to Albuquerque or Santa Fe for a weekend. Now I asked Mr. Montoya, hey, Mr. Montoya, this market is changing. You know, this is a good time to buy. And he goes, no, Art, I'm not going to buy. He goes, I'm retired. I don't need any additional risk. I'm in my golden years. And he was right. But I just remember going back thinking about Mr. Montoya, man. He's right. He shouldn't take any risk now. I, I said, but what could he have done differently? And then the question popped up. If he would have just bought one additional property, just one, when he bought his house a few years later, now he'd own two properties free and clear. Mm. And he'd have his house free and clear, and he'd have a property that was a three-bedroom, two-bath um, in the coal neighborhood, which is East Denver. And back then, the rent would have only been eight or $900 a month. But literally, that would have doubled his income. Yeah. Now, if he would have, and, he, and it was probably value back then was 150000 Now, think about this. He has... An extra $800 coming in over all these years. He owns it free and clear. Now, if he wanted to, he could sell that property in his golden years, even after commissions, expenses, recapture, all the things that happen when you sell an investment property, he'd still walk away with about $115K, $120K. Now, that's not the most amount of money in the world, but I remember thinking that it would have been life-changing for Mr. Montoya. Mm -hmm. This is back in 1992, 93. Life-changing. And, the, and that's when I came up with the power plus one is that... You're, you're right. Robert Kiyosaki doesn't have that chapter. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. But I'll, I'll share it with him. It's a good... It's I'll good. share it with him. And so Mr. Montoya could have changed his whole trajectory by owning one additional property. Now, let's bring it into today's dates. How much time do we have, Ryan? Two minutes. Two minutes. So today, do you know what the average Social Security check is today? It's like $1,600. $1, yeah. Average. You, you just said this is the fifth, Sean most expensive market. How do you live off $1,600 a month? You don't. Okay. So now this is the question I want to ask you guys, and this is rhetorical and everybody that's listening. Who do you know today that is retiring, close to retirement, that made a decision to buy a house to live in and they own that free and clear and they're, they're retired now and they made a decision to buy a duplex a while back and now they own that free and clear. And now they have their social security of 1600. Let's assume no other income. And they had that $2,800 that we talked about earlier from their duplex. It's mm-hmm. free and clear. Mm-hmm. Now they have $3,400 a month coming in. Uh, forty, Sorry, $4,400 a month coming in. Who do we know that if they follow that path, 
that they own their house free and clear and a duplex when they retired, that their life would be dramatically different. Yeah, lots of people. I mean, I could think of who you could think of an uncle, an aunt, your parents. There are so many, and we're just talking one additional property, just one, and it could be life changing. That's right. I think I've said this many, many times before. The first house I ever sold was in 1997, and it was in Washington Park. And it was one block off the park, and it was 126000 Can you believe that? And I, I thought at the time, why would anybody pay 126000 for this, this little tiny Cracker Jack box, yeah. right? And then you think about that. If, if I bought 10 of those, what would that be worth today? And 27 years later, I mean, you're also looking at maybe those houses are free and clear, right? You're and ruining his whole point, though. His no, point is you don't have to buy two. I know, but what I'm saying is <laughs> my point is is I think sometimes people look at today's market and they say, well, you know, it's expensive. Yeah. I mean, could you buy 10 houses in Washington Park today? Well, you could. And 27 years from now, they're going to be worth way more, way more because real estate keeps going up and up and up. And it goes down a little bit, and then it goes up and up and up, and it goes down. So you don't have to necessarily have 10 of them, but you have to start with one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key is, is getting that one. And then once people get the confidence, then they can get another one and another one. And that's a big barrier that people have is just getting started. So we have to finish up. So if you, what else do you have? That, that, what I would say is... Bring us home, Art. What, just think about all the people you know that if they owned one additional income property, who would benefit from that? And then say, okay, now that I know who those people are, and it's a big list when you really start to think about it, then how do I, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go for my next class so that I can be empowered to teach this to other people? And this is, a good, this is good timing because a lot of those people on that type of path have their money in IRA, 401k, SEP IRA, and they're not real happy with what's going on right now. Well, when I tell you 25% annual return, you know, challenge me. Come to my class and come with a skeptical mind. Come, to, come there saying, I don't believe you. I don't believe it's true. It's too good to be true. And then let's run the formula. Then you decide if I was leading you down the right path or if I was leading you down the wrong path. Because my goal is to empower you to make the decisions based on understanding the formulas. Okay. So uh, we are out of time. So how do people get a, a hold of you to find out where your classes are? or have any other conversation, how so, would you like them to contact you? If you're a real estate broker and you're in any one of these two offices or even in another office, we have an open-door policy. Um, check with the Keller Williams downtown office. Um, and, you know, look, I don't mind giving my number out, but I'll give my email out, artq at q.com, art, the letter q, at q.com, and say you're interested. If you're in the West office, talk to your uh to your staff, your leadership, and tell them you want to put me on the calendar. We're trying to do things quarterly, and, and I'll, I'll be doing classes, and you could just look it up. If you're a consumer, call your real estate broker and say, hey, there's this guy, Art. I want to go to this class and have that agent call me. I'll do a class with them first with agents, and then we'll do a consumer class. That's awesome. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for your time today. I mean, we could probably keep talking for a couple more hours, so we'll have you back. Talk about some it was, other things. It went by fast, didn't Art, it? Art can definitely talk for a couple more hours. <laughs> Well, I used to have a radio show. You knew that, right? Well, I don't know if you knew that. But he's, he's a very was interesting it late guy. Yeah, no, I yeah, that's were a, you the ladies' man? I didn't have the late night <laughs> DJ voice. Anyway, so thank you for being here. Pleasure to be, and here. we'll have you back. And uh, 
Thanks for listening in, everybody. Thank you.